Well, I appreciate you being with us again uh, in this place and online. Uh, we're in the study of the book of Colossians. Uh, I've titled this series Greater because the book of Colossians is the most Christocentric book in the Bible. We just focus the most on Jesus. Uh, all, all the Bible is about Christ, but Colossians is the most Christocentric of them all. Uh, puts him right at the center of all things and presents him as greater than all things. Um, and so we'll be in Colossians chapter 3. I got through the first half of the chapter last week. And so we're going to go through the second half of Colossians 3 this week. If you have a Bible and brought one with you on our smart device, uh, feel free to find Colossians. All the scriptures on our app as well. You can follow along with that. Uh, but let me set that up with this. Uh, I've talked about this before. You probably uh, remember bits and pieces of it. I work with a group called Excel Leadership Network. Um, it's a church planting uh, network. I help uh, my friend JD. He started it, and I was the first one that uh, that he hired to to start this thing worldwide. And it's based on Acts 13, which tells the account of the, of the church in Antioch, uh, the leaders of that church getting together, and God calling out and setting aside high level leaders for the work God had called them to do. The first of those being Paul and Barnabas. And it was for the work of church planting uh, all over the, the known world through the three missionary journeys that Paul took. That's what the Excel Leadership Network is based on. We want to spot high-level leaders that God has called to plant churches and set them up, coach them, equip them, fund them to start churches. Our goal as Excel Leadership Network and Flipside, as part of that, is to plant churches all around the world. We don't care what flag flies over it, as long as it's Jesus. Uh, we don't care who gets the publicity for it, as long as it's Jesus. We're just committed to planting churches. Why? Because, as someone has said, the church is the last ray of hope in the ever-darkening skies of human depravity. Planting churches is the best way on earth, under heaven, to reach people who are far from God. Planting churches is God's plan A, and there is no plan B. As Tim Keller said, the vigorous, continual planting of new congregations is the single most crucial event for the numerical growth of the body of Christ in any city. Nothing else, not crusades, not outreach programs, not parachurch ministries, not growing megachurches, not, growing megachurches, not congregational consulting, nor church renewal process, nor fountains or coffee shops. I added that part. <laughs> will have the consistent impact of dynamic, extensive church planning. It's the best way to reach people who are far from God. And so this is what we do. Excel Leadership Network, the group I'm a part of, has started about 150 churches in the last year around the world. Flipside has started seven churches directly, uh, and through those seven, 20 more. It's exciting. It's good work. It's what God's called us to, and it's what I invite you into as a part of this church. It's not just church planting, though. We want to be extraordinarily generous to our communities. We, we want to be extraordinarily generous through our ministries. That's why we do Care Connection. When there are needs that arrive, men and women from this church of their own time carve out chunks of a Saturday afternoon and go serve those who need serving. Sick, shut-ins, elderly people that can't take care of their property. It's just what we do. 
This last time uh, we did it, it was it was a great experience with this with one lady that we've gone back to her house multiple times. You got these people giving up four hours on their Saturday when they could be doing a lot of other things that most of you do. But we care about our community and we serve them and we're generous towards them in time and deed. Our VBS that we do is huge. It's completely free. When the big mega churches in Fresno are charging for their VBSs, we do ours free. It's just how we're generous to our community. These teacher supplies, we asked every school site to tell us what they need. Because the district can't provide all of their needs. So guess who gets to step in and stand in the gap on behalf of our teachers? We do. And be extraordinarily generous. This catered lunch, who else gives a catered lunch to the entire district? Not because we have to, but completely free just because we want to be generous to our community. It's what we do, it's what Flipside does. The tailgate party. The first home game of every football season, we throw a tailgate party. We use that term loosely. But we pay for all the parking for everybody. We have... uh, Food and, and, and drink available on both sidelines for the players and the refs. Hopefully we get a couple good calls. And we give away big we give away stuff. You come to the game, we've taken care of the parking. You get a ticket. We get, this, this year we're doing giveaways of $100 gift cards during both JV and varsity games. It's because we want to be generous to the community. The harvest party we put on, biggest thing that happens in the ranchos. Completely free. All of you, I mean, so many of you get involved in, in, in work that stuff. Just because we want to be generous to the community. Operation Butterball around Thanksgiving, big frozen turkey meals with all the fixings. Anybody who lets us know there's a need in Fresno, Madera, or ranchos, we hand deliver this huge turkey meal that they can cook on, on their Thanksgiving. It was just, we just want to be generous. I, I'm, I'm calling you, inviting you into church planning and to generosity to our community. This whole Maywood Center, it's ours. We own, I, I think we're the only church, the only church that I know of uh, that owns a liquor store and a smoke shop and a diner and a cocina and a propane place and a, a, a brewery. Yeah, I didn't forget the beer house. Don't worry. Oh, it's the beer. And, and, and all these people pay us money for their rent. And then we turn around and give that money away. That's why we do it. This place will be paid off in two and a half years. Free and clear. It's amazing. What that'll do is generate $20,000 a month at least that we get a giveaway to church planning and our ministries in Fresno and Madera and to this community. See, this is what I'm inviting you into. And all of this that we do is driven by this right here. Nowhere in here do I see build a big edifice to the pastor. Nowhere in here do I see make your campus bigger and bigger and bigger. Nowhere in here do I see make sure that your name is known. What I do see in here Plant churches, transform your community, and make sure his name is known. Do you understand? So this is this right here. 
this is why we do what we do. And so Colossians has some word for us while we're doing what we do. Who we are, who we become. So Colossians 3. The book of Colossians was written by the Apostle Paul to the people of Colossae. Here's what's significant about, about this little town of Colossae. It was a little country town that was overshadowed by the big town next to it. Kind of sounds like the ranchos. It was a little country town. And the, the, the danger that the people in Colossae were facing is that the, the, they were facing the sacrifice of their witness because of, get this, small town issues and pettiness. Sounds like the ranchos. And so we studied last week in the first part of Colossians 3 what Paul is, is calling us to. Because Jesus died for us, this is how we respond to him and to each other. And so he follows up with all of that with, in verses 15 and 16. This is where we're going to start. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. He starts this section after talking about how we relate with each other. He says, now then, let the peace of God rule in your heart. And when, when Paul uses the word peace here, it's a Greek word, arene. And it means the absence of rage, the absence of havoc, the absence of discord. It means no imbalance. He says, let this thing peace this, 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 abs this peace that comes in and comes on, which eradicates rage, have a discord, which creates balance within. Let that rule, let that peace rule in your heart. And when Paul uses the word rule, it's the word we use for umpire. Now in baseball or softball, what's the, what's the role of the umpire? Okay, some of you have spent far too many years in travel ball for you to be silent right now. What's the role of an umpire in baseball? Making bad calls. Making bad calls. Yeah, that's, that's, their, that's what they do. They're the ones that says strike or ball, fair or foul, inbounds or out of bounds, right? They're the ones. They have the authority to do that. And so what Paul is saying is let the peace of Christ Make those calls in your life. This is inbounds, this is out of bounds. That's fair, that's foul. Let the peace of Christ make those rules. Let it be the umpire in your life to call things safe or not. So here's the thing. If you're a Christ follower, I'm putting that, that little asterisk by this. If you're a Christ follower, walking in obedience. Say those, so there's two asterisks. Christ follower, walking in obedience, and there are decisions to make. Paul would say, You'll know it's the right decision when you're at peace. And so you start to gauge. If I'm a Christ follower walking in obedience, am I at peace or is there a war going on inwardly? Because the peace of Christ will rule your heart. No rage, no havoc, no discord, no imbalance. If you're a Christ follower walking in obedience. If you're not a Christ follower, you won't have the Holy Spirit nor the Word of God to direct your heart. So you're in turmoil. Or, if you're a Christ follower not in obedience, there'll always be turmoil in your heart. 
So if you're a Christ follower walking in obedience, the peace of Christ will rule. So when it comes to those decisions, are you at peace? So how does a Christ follower know the will of God? Two indicators. One, this peace of God will rule in your heart. Given a decision, are you at balance in your heart and your mind? The Holy Spirit will umpire the call. And if it's of Him, it'll be in bounds and fair. If it's not of Him, it'll be out of bounds and imbalanced. But the second thing, the indicator is not just the peace of God, but that peace of God that we might feel must be in agreement with the Word of Christ. If you feel like something is the right way and you're at peace with it, but it's contrary to the Word of God, that peace you feel is not of Him. Please note, do not make the mistake of the peace of your heart when it's not the peace of Christ in your heart. Don't, 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 don't make the mistake of feeling, well, I'm at peace in my heart if it's not the peace of Christ in your heart. There's a difference. I, I, I've talked to, a, just in my work in church, I've had Christ followers tell me a lot of things they were at peace of it at that were not in line with Scripture. And to a person, they've been wrong. I don't care what the peace feels like in your heart. If it's out of line with Scripture, it's not of Christ. I've actually had men tell me, you know, I just, I've prayed about it a lot. I've taught some people I'm at peace leaving my wife and my family. And they're just idiots. That's not the peace of Christ. Because it's out of line with Scripture. Does that make sense? You understand? So whatever the peace is you feel, it's got to be in line with God's Word. No, no, Paul says, you were called to peace. You were not called to inner turmoil. And he says in verse 15 and 16, you were called to peace. So be thankful. Keep the Word of God in your heart. And be full of gratitude. That's some of those things that keep us in balance and at peace. But, but notice, chat, verses 15 and 16 come right after which verses? You don't have to look at your Bible to know this. Come on. Listen, even if you're a product of Madeira High School or Chowchilla, you know the answer to this. Verses 15 and 16 come after what? 13 or 14. Good. You got that one right. So what was the whole previous section about? It was about our relationships with each other and how we live in this world. And in light of that, he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. So in the context of relationships, Christ followers are to let the peace of Christ rule. And he just got in talking about, you know, get rid of anger, get rid of slander, get rid of malice, get rid of greed. And so what he's saying here is when you're tempted to anger, instead, let peace rule. When rage rises up inside, instead, let peace rule. When greed, the uncontrolled desire for more, starts to take over, let peace rule. When slander starts to slip from your lips and lowering the reputation of somebody, instead, let peace rule. And so it's as if he says, look, if you haven't got it yet, 
Let me give you the. Let me give you this in one fell swoop. Let me tell you this. Here's he, he pulls up. Whatever you do. Now in Greek, we got to be careful. You know what whatever means in Greek? It means whatever. So whatever you do, in word and whatever you say, and whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Whatever you do, whatever you say, whatever you do, whatever you post, whatever you do, in the name of the Lord. Now, this is where we need a little bit of understanding. The word, when Paul says the word name, it, it means in the attitude of and the likeness of. Whatever you do, do in the attitude of Christ. Whatever you do, do it in the likeness of Christ. Whatever you say, Paul says, say it in the attitude of Christ. Whatever you say, say it in the likeness of Christ. Whatever you post, post it in the attitude of Christ. Whatever you post, post it in the likeness of Christ. This one verse is so totally transformative. We could end right now. Right now. And there's enough here to give every one of us homework for the rest of the week, right? Right? Whatever you say, whatever you do, in the attitude likeness of Christ. That's it. We're done. Now I said, I could end right here. I'm not going to. And so he says, in case you're missing this, let me explain to you what I mean by everything. He's been talking about the context of relationships because of what God did through Christ on the cross. This is how we respond to God and to each other in the context of relationships. Get rid of some stuff, put on some. That's all chapter two. Whatever you do now in chapter, whatever you do, whatever you say, do in the attitude and likeness of Christ. And then he says, in case you need some specifics, let me start with the family. So, rules for the family. Whatever you do, whatever you say. You ready? <laughs> do I have your permission to teach verses 18 through 21? Whatever you do, whatever you say. So, ladies, we'll start with wives. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Whatever you do and whatever you say. He goes on. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Whatever you do, whatever you say. Children, Obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. Whatever you do, whatever you say. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they'll become discouraged. Whatever you do, whatever you say. So let's unpack this. Wives, submit to your own husband. That's the emphasis of this verse. Submit to your own husband. Please understand, this verse is not about genders. It's not about the submission of women to men. It's not about male superiority. This addresses wives in the context of biblical marriage. 
And it says, in the context of a biblical marriage, the wife is to submit to her own husband, but no other man. This is not about women submitting to men. This is about the texture of a biblical marriage. There have been some really bad teachers in the church in the past who have used this and similar verses to say women are subservient to men and women must submit to men. That's not what this verse is saying. It's saying, wife, if you're in a biblical marriage, you submit to that man, no others. You understand? This requires a wife to willingly say, I will submit to follow your lead, even if I know I'm right. <laughs> I, I've, I've, I've known a lot of married couples, and there are many, many, many instances where usually the wife is right before the husband is. Usually, not in all things. But there are some marriage relationships, man and woman, where the wife is a better, more qualified leader than the man. And, and the problem is, we men think we married a cheerleader when we married a, a leader. And, and then you get back to this verse, it's like, well, you... And so what this requires is a maturity of a wife to say, even if I know, I will submit to follow your lead. Your lead, not anyone else's. Because this is not about superiority. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, ladies, knowing this is the biblical standard of marriage, you better choose wisely. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> and if some of you got married in ignorance, <laughs> you got, might have some work cut out for you. <laughs> but this is, this is the standard. And if you're single, I'm going to tell you, don't marry someone you don't want to submit to. Ladies. You okay? Are we all right? Whatever you say, husbands, love your wife. Now let me tell you this. Wives get off easy. Truly. Because here's the standard for the husband. Love your wife. Here's the standard. As Christ loved the church and gave up himself for her. Christ who gave up his rights, who gave up his position and served. So husbands, love your wife and pause. Do not be harsh with them, right? Well, here's what that means. Don't be bitter towards them. Don't be bitter towards them. I'm married 31 years this December. Shell and I are. And, and I'm still learning what this means. I'm going to tell you husbands, you pay attention now. The secret that will prevent you from being bitter towards your wife. You ready? Husbands get bitter towards their wives when they demand too much from them. Let me tell you how us guys are wired. We want our wife to meet all of our needs at every moment. And that is too much demand to put on anybody. 
No one can do that. Usually, when the husband becomes less demanding, the wife responds with more. But when we walk into relationships thinking, you are my wife, you will meet all of my demands as I want them. It's too much. She can't do that. And when she does it, we are so immature oftentimes that we begin to get bitter to what she's not doing. You follow me on this, guys? And so that's why Paul says, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Well, how did Christ love He gave up his rights. What it means is I will love my wife in place of myself. Not I will love my wife. I will love my wife in place of myself. And so, wife, this is what I th- this is what I want. This is what I need. This is what I think we should do. But I'm going to defer to you because I'm going to lay my rights down. I'm going to serve you. Do you understand what I'm saying? This helps the wife fully blossom and who God made her to be. Let's move on, children. Obey your parents, end of discussion. That's it. So here's my word to parents. Don't count to three. If they're little, don't count to three. All you're doing is giving them three opportunities to disobey you. With no consequence. Don't, don't bargain with them as they get older. Don't bargain with them. Don't allow them to bargain with you. This is not a negotiation. Don't allow them to disobey you. Don't allow them to talk back to you. See, th- th- this verse of children obey your parents implies that the parent has set boundaries, applies that there are limits in place, applies that the, implies that the parent has expectations of their children. And it calls them to live up to high expectations. That parents expect obedience. Now, so that we understand again and whatever we say or do in the attitude and likeness of Christ, I will absolutely expect and demand obedience without a doubt as a parent. And dad should take the lead, and here's how I know. Because the very next verse, he says, fathers, don't embitter your kids. You have high expectations of them, absolutely, and you expect and demand obedience. But in the process of that, do not embitter them. It doesn't mean don't discipline It doesn't mean don't let them be disappointed. It means don't embitter them. And what embitter means literally is don't crush their spirit. In your expectations of your children, don't have such high expectations that they can never be met. Because that will crush your kid's spirit. You understand this? Is this making sense? I was sitting in my office thinking, how do I I say this in a way that helps us understand this? Like in, in parenting terms and this is what it came up with as a parent the rule is this celebrate the little things and don't exacerbate the bad things celebrate the little things the little good things and don't make the bad things worse i was so proud of of joe and miranda the other day they're at our house and miles who's going to turn three this month he's just learning the whole potty train thing um and, you know, now they got this big move coming, and there's just, just chaos. And that usually doesn't bode well for kids being potty trained, you know. And they're working really hard on getting Miles to, 
to do it right. And they're at our house and you can kind of know Miles needs to go do something, you know, and he kind of knows he does. But it's just it's just too much activity for a little boy to stop and go to the bathroom. And he finally decides he has to. And he kind of runs to the bathroom and he just didn't make it. Uh, and he's not wearing like pull-ups anymore. Like he's wearing like big boy chonies just so he can kind of. And he just didn't make it. And I, it just went everywhere. I mean, everywhere. And I was so proud of Joe. He says, honey, I got this. He took it off of Miranda's plate. He said, let me have And so he goes and he goes, Miles, you almost made it. That's awesome. You got so close. He said, don't worry about that. And Miles, he's a little embarrassed, you know, and he don't want anybody to see him. And he goes, that's okay, bud. We'll take care of it. Nobody knows. It's all right. You can, I can hear him saying this stuff. I'm like, Joe, that's... I mean, daddy took the lead. Mommy didn't have to do it all the time. He celebrated his son. He protected him. Has high expectations, but he's not going to crush him in the, in the midst of it. Whatever you do, in word or deed, in the likeness of Christ. And then, and then Paul says, he says this, he says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it, not only when their eye is on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for them. Like, we, we struggle with this verse because we view that, the, the, the word that starts this verse, we view it in the context of American slavery, and that's not what this is about. He's not talking, like, we only understand slavery through in the context of our nation's history. That's not... What he's talking about, here's what he's talking about biblically. He's talking about slaves, translate that word as bond servant. It's different than what we understand slaves. And here's what a bond servant is. You go back to Exodus 21 verses 5 and 6. If the servant, another word for slave, if, if that guy declares, I love my master, I love my wife, I love my children, and I do not want to go free. Why? Because I know the best way that I can take care of my wife and my kids is to give myself in the service of this great benevolent person who will take care of us, not abuse us. And I'm safer under their house than I am on my own. If they declare, I love them, I don't want to go free, then the master must take him before the judges. He shall take him to the door or the doorpost and pierce his ear with an awl. Then he will be his servant for life. This is why one of the biblical writers says, Lord, I have pierced my ear because I'm your bond servant. I'm safer under your hand than I am out from under it, away from it. And so what Paul's saying here is, this is best understood in the context of a bond servant. This is, in our culture, it's best understood in the employee-employer relationship. So he's saying, you employees, you serve your employer. Not just when he's looking at you because you know you're up for a promotion or a review. Even when he's not looking as your way of honoring Christ. Employee, obey your boss. What if he's a bad boss? Obey him anyway. Do your best. The job of the employee is to honor the demands of the boss as if 
It's Christ who's asking you to do it. Unless it's against Scripture or unethical, you obey Him. To this extent. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It's the Lord Christ your servant. Whatever you do, work at it as if Christ has asked you to. Whatever you do, work at it as if God, as if Christ says, this is the job I'm giving you. Whether you agree with it or not, whether you want to, I've asked you to do it. So work at it with your, like everything you got. Why? Because there's a promise attached to it. The promise is you'll be rewarded. The promise is your reward is coming. Even if the boss doesn't reward you, the reward is coming. Honestly, sometimes it's better not to be rewarded by your boss for doing a good job because your boss is going to be stingy. Sometimes it's better to leave it up to God because God's reward always includes abundance. So just do it as if God's asking you. Now, Paul wraps all chapter 3 up with this. Now watch this. This gets a little bit scary. You ready? You ready? Just watch this. Anyone who does wrong. Let me stop right there. Look to the people sitting next to you. This is about them. Okay? <laughs> They've done wrong. And you realize that they just looked at you, so you're included in this, right? <laughs> so anybody who's done wrong will be repaid for the wrongs. And there's no favoritism. Anyone who's done wrong will be repaid for their wrongs. There's no favoritism. That sounds a little ominous, doesn't it? Do you want to be repaid for the wrongs you've done? It sounds ominous because it is ominous. But please note, it is not God that pays us back for the wrongs we've done. God does not keep tally marks. And so you got three good ones and four bad ones. I owe you something for this bad one. God doesn't do that. It's not God who repays us for the wrong we do. God doesn't. God already did that to Jesus on the cross. For every wrong that you and I do, God leveled that against Christ and paid him back for our wrong. That's already been taken care of. What this does mean is that our sin has natural consequences attached to it. That's what it does mean. In the words of Bono of you 2 you plant a demon seed, you raise a flower of fire. That's what this means. As far as God's concerned, we are forgiven, and God has removed the guilt, but there may still be earthly consequences. Jeremiah 20, or 2, verse 19 is real clear. Your wickedness will punish you. God doesn't have to do it. God doesn't do that. Now, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Your wickedness will punish you. God doesn't have to lift a finger. Your backsliding will rebuke you. God doesn't have to do a darn thing. Consider then, if your wickedness punishes you and your backsliding rebukes you, consider then and realize how evil and bitter it is for you when you forsake the Lord your God and have no awe of him, declares the Lord the Lord Almighty. What he's saying is our own sin bites us in the butt. God doesn't have to do a darn thing. It's not God who says, you messed up, I will avenge. God, God says, I already took that out on Christ. I don't have to take it out on you. But he does say, your own sin's going to get you. So consider how terrible a thing it is 
when we go on sinning, reaping consequences of that. Consider how bad that is. If you know that I'm going to reap some bad stuff if I keep doing, why would we keep doing? Does it make sense? It's not from God's hand, it's from our hand. And so, it's real simple. If you're sinning, stop! <laughs> it's in no... This in rockets is not real. Just stop. If you're sinning, stop. If you're a Christ follower, stop. It's not that God's going to hold and get you for what you've done. You're going to get what you've done. So it's just stupid on our part to keep doing that thing that's going to create pain. So, if you're sinning, stop. Now, the good thing is, none of us have reaped everything we've sowed. Right? But some of us have reaped enough, we don't want to reap anymore. So, just stop. It's not that if you stop, God's going to like you more and you'll be more right with him. It's that if you stop, you'll quit, quit reaping the bad stuff. So, stop. Got it? And then, because some of us planted a lot of demon seeds in the past, and some of those take a long time to germinate, and we're still feeling the germination of some of that crap, so the next thing, stop, and then pray for mercy and grace. God, I thank you that you have forgiven me and I'm clean before you. There's still stuff coming up that I need you to be merciful to me about and withhold from me. I don't want to reap everything I've sown. And so I'm asking for your mercy and your grace. Not only withhold from me what my sin deserves, but give me what I don't deserve, which is favor and blessing. Do you understand? The greatest thing God can do in your life is have mercy and grace in spite of your sin. When I started this church on September 11th, 2005, was doing my Bible reading that morning before I left to, to start the whole thing. And my Bible reading led me to Lamentations chapter 3. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God's mercies are new every morning. I remember reading that passage thinking, Lord, why would you take me to Lamentations 3 when I'm opening this church? And, and, and I remember thinking, I, I don't know the extent to which I'm going to need God's mercies new every morning. And I don't want to know why I'm going to need God's new mercies every morning. 17 years later, I know why I need new mercies every morning. I don't want to reap everything I've sown. And so I pray for God's mercy and grace. Here's what I know about my Jesus. 
because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. His compassions never fail. And so I will pray every day, Father, give me your mercy and your grace. Jesus, you've already taken the penalty of my sin. Father, I need your mercy and your grace. It's the greatest thing we can do. The greatest work of God happened on the cross. And as every day, he gives us new mercy and grace. Do you understand? Father, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you proved your love for us through your son. Father, I pray that those of us who know you would do all we do in word and deed in the image and the likeness of your son. Let your peace rule our hearts. And Father, we plead the blood of Jesus over us. Respond to us according to the fullness of your mercy and your grace. Almighty God, do not give us what we deserve. In spite of what we've done in advance of all we do, respond to us according to the fullness of your mercy and the full magnitude of your grace. Friends, in this moment, if there's some of you who have never trusted your life to Jesus, what are you waiting for? You carry sin for which you cannot make atonement for, make payment for, except what's been done. Come before God, say, I'm sorry, forgive me, don't hold my past against me. I want your mercy and your grace. Father, that's my prayer for us. That's my prayer for me. Respond to us, not according to what we've done, not even according to what we do. Just respond to us according to the fullness of your mercy and the full magnitude of your grace. Turn your positive attention and activity towards us in spite of who we are, in spite of the past. Turn our hearts and minds heavenward. Draw us there. That our response and word and deed would be in the likeness and the image of Christ. Completely unworthy to carry that name, but made worthy. Father, I pray for my friends. Do the great work of responding to us. Let us see and experience in real time the magnitude of your mercy, the magnitude of your grace. And by your loving kindness, draw us to you. In your name I pray, man. Let's sing.